listening to the Paul McGuire Report. And again, thank you for listening all across the USA, whatever state you're in. And that would include state of consciousness or an actual physical state like California or Texas or the Carolinas and many other states. Welcome to this program. And welcome to this program to those of you who are watching and listening in all over the world. The European Union, Great Britain, Asia, the Middle East, Israel, South America. We have people listening all over the world. Welcome. And it's my prayer, my fervent prayer on today's program, that the message of today's program would, in a spiritual sense, come upon you through the Spirit of God wherever you live and infuse you with power from on high and new, and new life and a vibrancy, a vibrancy based on an infusion of the dunamis or dynamite power of God. You know, I was, before I walked into the studio just like 60 seconds ago, I was talking to my wife outside of the studio. And, and I, was, uh, I was very moved because as I was sharing uh, to my wife, Christina, I was talking to her about things such as what is happening on the earth? What will happen on the earth? What is happening and going to happen to God's people and the children and grandchildren of God's people? Are they, is our seed and their seed, is it going to perish from the earth? You know, if the seed that you plant for an anticipated harvest, if there's something wrong with that seed, and believe me, I'm, I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about farming. To me, it's a, it's, 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 it's a miracle if, if I, I can plant a garden. But our seed, according to the Bible, is our offspring. It's our children. It's our grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. Our seed is, is our progeny. It's, it's our blessing from the God. Our seed is, an inher- is part of a huge inheritance from Almighty God. Why? You see, the world system that we live in is a Luciferian world system. The world system that we live in is, is working in a manner that is contradictory to the way God's laws and God's kingdom operates. The way we got this world system was when our real-life space-time genetic ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they chose to disobey God and eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, they activated the law of sin and death. The death force entered the human race. Adam and Eve began to, their bodies and minds began to degrade and die because they activated the, the law of sin and death, and the death force entered their body, soul, and spirit. Now, in that, in that flux, what happened was that uh, Satan, or Lucifer, who had indwelt a, a uh, serpent being that the Bible calls the serpent of old, 
The serpent of old was indwelt by Lucifer or Satan, and the serpent of old was using literal, literally mind control techniques, hypnotic techniques. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the serpent of old was employing uh, early stages of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which is a modality for mirroring uh, another person's actions, facial expressions, likes and dislikes. It wouldn't surprise me if the serpent of old didn't use NLP, neuro-linguistic programming modalities, to convince Adam and Eve to do something so outrageously stupid. Now, I'm not putting down NLP uh, just in a general sweep, but there are millions of people on planet Earth and millions of Christians in the United States and other places who, because they're in the sales field or related fields, could be politics, they have learned the techniques of NLP, of neuro-linguistic programming, that was invented by essentially two guys, uh, Grinder and Bandler. And it was developed under the guiding hand of Dr. Bateson. Now, Dr. Bateson was the intellectual partner, the intellectual scientist, who uh, worked hand-in-hand with Aldous Huxley. And Bateson, I was reading uh, a biography on Bateson that was written by his daughter, and it it received rave reviews in the New York Times, and I was stunned as I read this, you know, somewhat ridiculous biography she wrote, because she sanitized the biography of her father, and made her father look like, you know, a saint, that everything he did was virtuous and good and kind, and everything he did um, was uh, energized by the highest ethical morals for the betterment of the human race. And that's not what Dr. Bateson's life was about at all. So either this girl was just writing a propaganda piece and, you know, sometimes we can look at people we know in our family that are evil, and we, we, we become deceived. He was an evil man. He was involved in very dark spiritual and psychological activities. In fact, in his early career, he would fly in, or by ship, he would visit remote tribal locations. Remote tribal locations deep in the forests of, like, the Amazon jungle and Africa. But he would also visit with his wife um, deep, remote locations. They would uh, join and immerse themselves with ancient tribal cultures hidden away from so-called civilization. His wife was a famous anthropologist. Her name was Margaret Mead. She she won a number of uh, um, scientific awards. Nobel Prizes for her research. And so what they did is they went to all these islands. Their specific agenda was to visit and study and research all these islands of so-called primitive tribes, where what held these primitive tribes together was the fact that they ritualistically entered together through music, through mild psychedelic drugs, through dancing, etc., they deliberately entered 
an altered state of consciousness. They deliberately entered uh, a trance state. So you had, they visited all these remote islands and they had uh, film cameras, photographic cameras, tape recorders. They immersed themselves in the cultures. And what they were all about is studying how, when you put all these tribal people together and they enter a collective trance state, how entering a collective trance state or altered state of consciousness uh, changes the culture for good or bad. And so they visited hundreds of these remote villages on the hunt for villages where the people uh, participated in these collective trance states. Now, why were they doing that? Ask yourself the question why they were doing that. They were doing that because they wanted to investigate how, when a tribal group collectively enters an altered state of consciousness, what is the result of that, good and bad? And so they worked secretly in conjunction with the CIA, with like Stanford Research Institute, uh, scientific think tanks, intelligence agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm going to ask you a probing, hopefully piercing, and a hopefully deep question. Why would the intelligence agencies, why would governmental agencies, why would all these scientific think tanks have such a keen interest in tribal groups that were entering a collective trance state? Well, Bateson, Dr. Gregory Bateson hid his, his agenda, but he and Aldous Huxley had a secret plan working. And what this plan was is that Aldous Huxley, a member of the globalist elite, a member of the scientific elite, Aldous Huxley, who was personally trained by the great science fiction writer H.G. Wells, who wrote War of the Worlds uh, uh, and many other sci-fi books, and H.G. Wells also wrote nonfiction books promoting intellectually the New World Order. And Aldous Huxley uh, was the, the top man, the head of British intelligence during World War I. And he personally mentored the two Huxley brothers, Aldous Huxley and Julian Huxley, who were members of Great Britain's highest elite inner circles. And he trained them in the esoteric fields that only a handful of intelligence agencies could experiment with. So he introduced, for example, Julian and Aldous Huxley to Aleister Crowley, the Satanist. And Aleister Crowley taught them things like trance states, hypnosis, and spying techniques, surveillance techniques that were based on uh, ancient sorcery, ancient magic, uh, ancient clairvoyance, etc., etc. Because when you delve into the history of the spycraft, you see that most of the prevalent techniques in modern espionage and spying have their roots going all the way back to ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, the ancient Egyptian Empire. Uh, and other ancient empires, 
where the kings, where the pharaohs uh, and the rulers uh, regularly consulted their inner court that would consist of an average of 300 heavy-duty, hardcore occult advisors. So these are the guys who were heads, the kings, what I call the pharaoh god kings, who were the heads of the most powerful empires in the world, and they're getting their advice, their counsel, and their plans from men who are sorcerers, occultists, clairvoyants, occult prophets, soothsayers, dream interpretators, uh, uh, and and many other occult sciences, seers, um, people who claim to be able to see into the future, magicians. See, it was that when you go back to ancient super civilizations, it was the norm in ancient super civilizations for the king or the top ruler or the pharaoh or whatever to have with him as part of his cabinet approximately 300 occult advisors that were wizards and magicians and trafficked and utilized supernatural power of all sorts. Now, because one of the primary purposes of our global educational system and one of the primary purposes of our American educational system is to conceal from you, to hide from you, to camouflage from you the enormously powerful secrets of the occult, of magic, of hypnosis, of casting spells, of predicting the future, of sorcery. These were the men that served in the inner court of these emperors and rulers of the most powerful kingdoms on planet Earth. So, we see when uh, the prophet Daniel uh, was given favor by God, and he had a legitimate, authentic, biblical anointing by God to be an authentic, biblical prophet. And God Almighty, the biblical God, raised up the prophet Daniel in uh, the courts of the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon also had about 300 heavy-duty occult advisors, sorcerers, magicians, astrologers, miracle workers, and so on and so forth. And so all of these things, it always came down to, they had to put it to the test. So the king of Babylon needed his dreams uh, and his visions accurately interpreted because it was going to affect the future of the people and the future of the nation. And so all the wizards, all the prophets, all the soothsayers, etc., of ancient Babylon, they could not accurately interpret the king of Babylon's dreams, visions, and so on and so forth. They, they just drew a blank. They were unable, even after consultation with their heavy-duty occult advisors, they could not come up with an accurate interpretation of the king of Babylon's dreams and visions. Now, in terms of accountability, if you could not deliver for the king of Babylon, if you could not give him a a valid supernatural interpretation of uh, the king of Babylon's dreams and visions, etc., etc., 
then the law of the land was that if you failed in interpreting the dreams and visions of the king of Babylon, then you would be killed or beheaded as punishment. So, so nobody messed around. Nobody lied. If you failed to deliver, if you failed to produce for the king of Babylon, your penalty was death. In the same way, when Joseph in ancient Egypt went through a similar program with the Pharaoh God King, all the sorcerers, the astrologers, the occult prophets, the soothsayers, uh, etc., etc., they were given a command by the Pharaoh God King to interpret his dreams and visions. And if they could not do that accurately, then the Pharaoh God King uh, would put them to death and, and murder them as a punishment. So this was serious stuff, okay? Very serious stuff. Now, what you must understand, and I cannot tell you how important this is to comprehend on multiple levels. If you fail to comprehend what I'm about to share with you on multiple levels, you will find yourself uh, powerless, without wisdom. You will not be able to use your occult gifts, your astrology, your magic, your soothsaying abilities, etc., etc. And again, the, the penalty is death. So, so what happened in both cases, as Daniel is being promoted, and, and notice, notice very carefully what the turning point in Daniel's promotion was. When the king of uh, ancient Babylon asks his occult advisors to give him the interpretation of his dreams and visions, all his inner court of soothsayers and magicians and sorcerers and astrologers, they struck out. They could not interpret the dreams and visions of the king of Babylon. As such, many of them were put to death. Daniel, however, the prophet, told the king of Babylon that he wasn't going to seek the God or the teachings of ancient Babylon. He told the king of Babylon that he was going to fast and pray and seek the, the true God of the Bible, and that the true God of the Bible would give him supernatural answers regarding interpreting the king of Babylon's dreams and visions. So as the other prophets that turned out to be false prophets were being beheaded and killed, God's favor, God's power was upon the prophet Daniel, and supernaturally he was able to interpret the dreams and visions of the king of Babylon which allowed the king of Babylon to guide the Babylonian empire into unprecedented heights of power and wealth and military conquest. This is, this is heavy stuff. You see, well, we'll get into that in a moment. And in the same way, Joseph, he was sent into the court and king of the Pharaoh God king. And the Pharaoh God king had his 300 advisors and occult teachers, etc. And so, um, the Pharaoh God King had this strange dream uh, where there was going to be upon the land of Egypt seven years of plenty, seven years of bountiful harvests, 
And then immediately following the seven years of plenty and the seven years of bountiful harvests, um, ancient Egypt was then going to experience seven years of drought, seven years of total crop failure, seven years of starvation and lack. Now, Joseph knew this because he supernaturally interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh. And in the dream of the Pharaoh, there were seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. So, we can safely say that the the interpretation of the dream of Pharaoh was literally an economic forecasting dream. It was also literally a a dream which predicted uh, the food supply, and it was a dream which predicted the water supply and the weather conditions. So, not only did um, Joseph interpret the dream, the economic forecasting dream for Pharaoh, God gave uh, Joseph a supernatural download and a supernatural plan on how the Pharaoh God King and how the empire of ancient Egypt could survive and thrive uh, the drought. And so um, the Pharaoh was so impressed with, 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 with supernatural wisdom and the supernatural interpretation of the future of ancient Egypt that he was so impressed with Joseph that he gave Joseph the signet, signet ring of Pharaoh. He gave Joseph the chariot of, of Pharaoh. And when Joseph rode through the streets of Egypt, riding the uh, Pharaoh's chariot, all the generals and the people and the high-ranking officials knew that uh, the Pharaoh gave Joseph the highest ranking, the highest amount of power, the highest amount of wealth in all of Egypt. And there was nobody in ancient Egypt more powerful than Joseph. Nobody was more powerful than Joseph than the Pharaoh himself. So he needed this power. He needed this legal authority. He needed this, uh, uh, he needed to to have the title of uh, kind of like second in command Pharaoh bestowed upon him so he could get things done. Sometimes when God is moving in your life, prophetically, now and in the future, God may give you a promotion so that you receive a title, not to gratify your ego, but you need the promotion. You need the higher ranking position, once again, not to brag, but because the world respects ranking, rulers, the chain of command. So Joseph needed to be at the top of the chain of command to get the job done for Pharaoh. And so what he did is he developed a supernatural economic plan for Pharaoh, and it went like this. God supernaturally downloaded into the mind of um, um, Joseph architectural diagrams, engineering blueprints, agricultural principles. Of, of an enormous precedence and power. And so Joseph constructed 
out of his own mind, inspired by the Spirit of God, Joseph constructed the, these massive, almost futuristic-looking, gigantic warehouses all over the land of Egypt. And they were unique in their engineering uh, construction because these things were like astrodomes. They were like nothing you've ever seen before. They were massive structures where you could have put a, a gigantic football field or a domed football stadium. But more had to go into it than that. They had to be like hermetically sealed, not to allow too much air in and out, or it would have made the, the crops rot and be infected with insects. Because you see, when Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, this was an attack on the food supply of ancient Egypt. The wheat and the grain and the harvest. Joseph devised a way under the Holy Spirit to build these super warehouses that would protect the massive wheat and grain harvests of Egypt. So the rats and the rodents couldn't get in there and eat up the food supply and destroy it. So excessive air and oxygen couldn't get into the food supply and cause it to rot and be destroyed. These things had to be airtight, hermetically sealed superstructures that would contain massive amounts of food supplies in the form of grain and wheat and massive tanks of clean water, etc. And so, it didn't stop there. God called Joseph, and God downloaded into the mind of Joseph a super engineering plan that would allow ancient Egypt to survive and prosper in the middle of a drought. And so, in the first seven years, Joseph organized all of Egypt to build these gigantic structures by which they would store enormous grain supplies and water supplies. Joseph built these gigantic structures all over Egypt, and these gigantic structures stored like an infinite amount of grain and wheat. Now, this guaranteed that is that during what was called the seven years of plenty, the first half of the dream, the seven years of plenty, which meant there was plenty of rain, the harvests of wheat and grain were bountiful, and because of the prosperity of the weather and the rain and the grain and the wheat, this blessing of God upon the agricultural economic system of Pharaoh enabled Pharaoh under the rulership of Joseph, to store up, through seven years of plenty, massive reserves of food, water, grain, wheat, and other supplies. But you see, God inspired Joseph's mind with such superintelligence that he gave Joseph a master plan and what Joseph did, he rode his chariot around Egypt and around the surrounding empires and the surrounding geographic land owned by foreign empires that, that existed all around the physical land of Egypt. Um, Joseph shrewdly traded and sold the, the grain, and this is how it happened. When the, 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 the seven years of plenty ended, 
and the rain stopped and the supply of grain and wheat stopped. Uh, then they entered into the seven years of drought with no wheat, no grain, no rain, etc., etc. Now, the mass of, of Egyptian empire, including Joseph's family and father, the Jews, because God was protecting the Jews through the blessing he put on Joseph, but through Joseph's intelligence and wisdom, the Egyptian empire managed to store up in these super warehouses seven years of abundant plenty of wheat, grain, supplies, and water in these super warehouses. So when the seven years of drought came upon Egypt and the rest of the world, when the seven years of drought came upon all the nations that surrounded the physical geographical land that was the empire of ancient Egypt, Joseph shrewdly went to the rulers of these other nations that surrounded Egypt, and he traded them. He sold them all the wheat and grain and water that they could possibly need to keep their people fed, to, to have abundance, to have economic prosperity. So Joseph was selling very shrewdly the reserves of wheat and grain that were stored up. But Joseph was even shrewder than that. He made a profit. So what he did is the deal he worked out with all these powerful empires that surrounded ancient Egypt is he sold them the, the grain and the wheat and the water they needed full and then he bought up their he bought up countless hundreds of thousands of acres of their land. He bought up all their land very, very cheaply because they were desperate. So they sold Joseph and the Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire, they sold them the excess of their massive supplies of wheat, grain, and water. And they sold their precious land. So what happened was that Pharaoh, the Egyptian empire, under the guidance of Joseph, quantumly expanded the size, the scope, the, and the acreage of the Egyptian empire by buying up all the land of the other empires that surrounded Egypt. Joseph bought up all their land on the cheap by selling them the excess grain and wheat of these other empires that surrounded ancient Egypt. And so we see that God throughout history, when God's people are walking under the grace of God and the guidance of God, God will often work supernaturally through men and women that God has raised up for a particular time, and God creates situations which allows his people to supernaturally prosper, to supernaturally produce wealth and food and expand their empires and their military control and their kingdoms. So under the rule of Joseph, there was a mighty and great expansion of the empire of ancient Egypt. This is powerful stuff. Okay, same thing happened with uh, Daniel the prophet. Daniel the prophet explained supernaturally. Supernaturally, Daniel the prophet explained the dream and vision that the king of Babylon had regarding the future of the Babylonian empire, which at that time 
was the most powerful, the richest and wealthiest and most powerful wealth, uh, empire on planet Earth. So this is how it played out. Um, Daniel interpreted the vision of the dream of of uh, the king of Babylon. There was that vision of this giant soldier. And remember, the giant soldier um, had different values of metal uh, for different parts of his physical body. Okay, this is important to grasp, very important. So what happens is God is revealing to the king of Babylon not only the future of the kingdom of Babylon, but the future of the world and the coming of the final world empire, which is the revived Roman Empire. All right, we're going to dive back into this deeper and heavier in just a moment. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. This is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. And what God did prophetically with men that he chose in ancient history and in contemporary times is thinking outside of the box on a quantum level, a supernatural level. So King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, his empire lasted from 606 to 538 B.C. And it was a a statue of a giant warrior. And this uh, giant warrior, the image of his head was composed of fine gold. And so he has a head of precious gold. And the precious gold uh, communicates the incredible value and monetary worth and power of Babylon during this time period. So the head is made out of gold on purpose. And then, uh, as time goes on, there's a succession of what are called the, the world empires or the Gentile world empires. And they're called the Gentile world empires because these are not empires that are controlled by God's people or the children of Israel. These are empires that are controlled by pagans, by non-believers, by occultists. So it spans all the way from the time of ancient Babylon. It, it will continue on to our present time, and then it will continue on past that into the future. And so part of this continuum of empires is the is what's called the Persian Empire. And that's that's in this image that um, Daniel interpreted for the king of Babylon. It says, his breast and his arms of silver, and there shall arise another kingdom. Um, and so this other kingdom is, is in the breastplate area. And it's composed of silver, which is also a very valuable precious metal. It's, not, it's just not as valuable as gold, which is the most valuable of the precious metals. And then after the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire rises to power. 
from 331 uh, to 363 BC. And this, when you look at this giant statue, you see that the thighs are made of brass, which is still valuable. And, uh, and it also represents a third kingdom of brass, which will bear rule over the entire earth. So you see, this giant statue represents, when you analyze it, the different parts of this giant statue represent the power and the wealth of the different kingdoms. So then the next kingdom coming up is the the Roman kingdom from 27 BC to 1453 AD. And here we look at the legs of this giant statue, and the legs are made of iron, which is not valuable, but it has value. And the legs of iron represent a fourth kingdom on the earth. And and one of the characteristics of this fourth kingdom on the earth is that it shall be strong as iron, for as much as as iron breaks into pieces and subdues all things. Okay, so, so we see this giant statue, and this giant statue going from the top, the head is gold, the breast plate area is made out of silver. The, the thighs area of the giant statue are made of brass. The legs of the giant statue are made of iron. And then we see there's two facets to this Roman Empire. The, the first is uh, the Roman Empire with uh, legs of iron. But then we have the divided Roman Empire that lasts from 27 BC to 476 AD. Okay, and then the divided Roman Empire goes from 67 AD to 1453 AD. And here, when we look at the feet of the giant statue, we notice something unusual. The feet are composed of a mixture of iron and clay. Now, what's weird about this strong warrior statue is that the divided Roman Empire, which rises up in the last days, like it's already rising up now, it's composed of this odd mixture of iron and clay. And it's the iron part makes it very strong, but the clay part mixed with the iron is brittle. It breaks, and the iron and the clay don't cleave to one another. It's awkward. It disintegrates. It, it breaks apart. It's fragile, representing the last days revived Roman Empire under the rule of the Antichrist and the false prophet. This will be a kingdom that may very well consist of ten individual sovereign nations functioning as one global government. And so the ten nations in this revived Roman Empire, they're alluded to and referred to many places in the Bible, specifically in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the Antichrist ruling over this revived Roman Empire that consists of ten different nations. and so. 
as we move deeper into the last days, this is a prophetic interpretation here, as we move deeper into the last days, and the prophet Daniel continues to interpret the vision, he sees a stone, and this, this giant stone is very strong, and this giant stone smashes into the image of this giant statue or this giant warrior. Okay? And um, the, the, the stone and the image upon his feet becomes like a mountain and fills the whole earth. This, this points to the fact that the revived Roman Empire is a global or one-world government, a one-world government ruling ten uh, independent nations or power centers. And this giant stone, which represents Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, smashes into this mountain, okay, that fills the whole earth. And it, the giant stone represents Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven, which will last forever and never be destroyed. This is a prophetic dream of the future. So Daniel has a supernatural interpretation of what's happening. Now, I mean, you can hire think tanks, research groups, computer analysis. This is not easy. I mean, Daniel is given the supernatural power and ability to interpret supernaturally the dream and vision of the king of Babylon, and that supernatural power infused into Daniel gives Daniel the supernatural prophetic ability to, to accurately depict the rise and fall of futuristic empires right up to the second coming and the final world empire which is the revived Roman Empire. I personally think that it's highly possible that the revived Roman Empire will consist of that in the last days there's going to be a global government. It's highly possible that this global government under the Antichrist will consist of ten independent regions, ten independent regions of planet Earth. So if you see the maps of the globalists, and I talk about this in my books in great detail, I have charts and I, I go through this uh, in my books, which you can get at paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And there are many charts which show you how the globalist elite have divided this one world government into 10 separate independent regions. And these ten independent separate regions are what Daniel is looking at in the future. Okay, so now, here we are in the United States of America. At the present moment, there are powerful forces. I'm talking about the globalist elite. And the globalist elite had a secret plan that began in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. Remember, in ancient Babylon, at the time of the Tower of Babel, um, was the world's first new world order, the world's first one world government. Um, and when God comes down to judge ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, which is the world's first new world order, 
and also the birthplace of mystery Babylon, the the occultic system that controls the world through occult secret societies. So, ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, God is aware of incredible sinfulness that's occurring in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. So God comes down with his angels to check it out, and what God sees doesn't please him. He sees that the people are building these massive structures, like the Tower of Babel, which is designed to elevate sinful man into the the realm of, of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But but God also notices that what's in the heart of all the people in ancient Babylon is this inner desire to become like God, and what he sees in the heart of the people is this inner desire to worship Lucifer. So God recognizes that ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, it's a Luciferian government. The goal is to worship Lucifer and to become like Lucifer. And Nimrod is acting on behalf of Lucifer. In fact, many people suggest that Nimrod, the head of ancient Babylon, was uh, originally, he was produced uh, from the interspecies breeding when a fallen angel mated with a human woman, and that interspecies breeding produced the non-human species of the Nephilim or the Rephium. And Nimrod was supposedly a Rephium or Nephilim. His DNA was both uh, human and fallen angel human DNA. So, Mystery Babylon is the occult master plan or occult or satanic template for Satan's uh, temporary satanic global government. Now, God is displeased with this because God knows this is going to end up uh, uh, causing the the people of ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel to initiate a revolution where they're going to attempt to overthrow the biblical God. They're going to attempt to overthrow the God of the Bible. And any memory of the God of the Bible that still exists in ancient Babylon the people of ancient Babylon are going to have an occult, satanically-led revolution. And they're going to turn ancient Babylon, at the time of the Tower of Babel, into a Luciferian, satanic kingdom, which is what the New World Order is, by the way. But God makes an observation, and he makes this observation for your benefit and my benefit. God is, is letting us in on something that he perceives that is vitally important. God says out loud, as he's checking out ancient Babylon, he says, the people of ancient Babylon are functioning as one. They're they're working together in unity. They have become one. They're working as one. And then he says, because they've become one, because they're working as one, then God says, nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. So what God is doing is this, God's not just running off at the mouth. God is revealing an eternal principle of the kingdom of God, an eternal principle that can release great power, wealth, and force on the earth. And that is this, God is letting you know the inside story. God is telling you that whenever the human race, whenever humans, male or female, 
whether they're good people or bad people, whenever human beings get together as one and begin to function as one, as long as they're in that unity God is teaching us, then nothing that they propose to do or envision to do will be withheld from them. Nothing will be impossible for them. Anything that they conceive in their minds that they want to do, they'll be able to do. Nothing will be impossible for them. The key is they must maintain their unity. They must work together as one and be of one mind and one spirit. As long as they do that, nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. Now, this is vitally important because what God is saying, nothing is impossible for the human race. Anything that they dare to dream about doing, they will be able to accomplish as long as they're functioning as one. And, and what's the most interesting thing about this is that it does, God is just saying, this is the way, you know, the universe works. God is telling us as his people that this kingdom principle will work whether the people are evil or the people are righteous. This kingdom principle will work whether the plans that they have are good or the plans that they have are evil. The principle that whatever mankind envisions itself as doing, it will be able to do, is not contingent upon whether they're good or evil or whether the plan is good or evil. It's just a kingdom principle that whenever mankind and the human race comes together and function as one and functions in unity, that anything they propose to do, they will be able to do. And that is like an astronomically powerful principle. So. God is teaching us that because, you see, for Christians, for the righteous, for good people, for people like you, for people like me, that principle is still operational. As long as we're functioning as one, then whatever we propose to do, either good or evil, we will be able to do it as long as we're functioning as one. This is a kingdom principle. It works on military on a military basis, it works on a societal basis, it works in every realm of life. And of course, it worked uh, in ancient Babylon. Now, what we must remember is that for God's people, that's you and me, who are alive in the last days, nothing we propose to do, nothing we endeavor to do, will be impossible for us, or will be withheld from us, as long as we are doing it in unity and functioning as one. As long as we're functioning as one, we will be able to do anything. Nothing is impossible for us. And this is a kingdom principle. And it works for evil people. Look at Adolf Hitler. They functioned as one. Under their demonic leader, Adolf Hitler, they almost conquered the world and did many other things because they were functioning as one. And you see this principle at work reoccurring on a regular basis throughout human history. Now, we also notice that in the book of Acts, we see this same principle of biblical unity. And what do I mean by biblical unity? Biblical unity means if we are attempting to artificially create a false unity, a false oneness, or what is known theological, uh, theologically as an ecumenical movement. An ecumenical movement is a religious or spiritual movement that produces a false unity because the doctrines 
the theology and the belief systems that the false unity is built on are composed of lies, spiritual deception, satanic beliefs, Luciferian beliefs, etc., etc. Here's a case in point. I'm not attempting to be anti-Catholic. It's simply an observation of contemporary Catholicism. The, the, the Pope is trying to be the head of a one-world religion. So the Pope is welcoming in and bringing in and organizing all the world's religions, including Satanism, Luciferianism, witchcraft, human sacrifice religions. All of these occultic religions are allowed into—they're allowed to enter the Catholic, Catholic religion, no matter how evil they are. And that produces a counterfeit unity. Why? Because there, there, there can be no agreement, there can be no harmony between Satanism, Luciferianism, the occult, and Christianity, even if it's kind of a watered-down Catholic Christianity. When we use the word ecumenical, that always refers to pseudo or fake or counterfeit Christian churches, Christian theology, and Christian groups coming together on, on the basis of counterfeit theology. They, they, their goal is to create a new world order with a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world economic system. But it's a false unity because it's based on uh, false doctrine, false teaching, false prophets. How the heck can you invite Satanists to be in your Catholic fellowship with the Vatican? You can't. You can't. So, here's an example now of authentic biblical unity that is occurring now in the last days. And this is what I wanted to get to. When we read the book of Acts, which gives us a depiction of the last days and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see some very interesting things. And we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes spiritually. We need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to anoint our eyes with the eye salve of the Holy Spirit so that we can see the truth. You see, most Christians, most people are blinded, but most Christians are blinded from seeing the truth because a spiritual blindness has come upon their eyes because they have received into their vision and their hearts false doctrine, false teaching, and false prophets that originate from Lucifer. It's only when Christians repent of their sins and ask God to heal them of their blindness that the Lord heals their blindness with the eye salve of the Holy Spirit, and God restores, listen very carefully, God restores their vision. I want to repeat that again. God restores their vision. God restores their spiritual vision. This is revealed to us in the book of Laodicea, where Jesus Christ says to the contemporary church, which, where Jesus Christ is saying to the contemporary church in America, I believe that in many respects the church in America is the Laodicean church. And what Jesus Christ is saying to the church in America, to you and me, is this. I wish, I wish that you were either hot or cold spiritually, but because you're lukewarm spiritually, 
you're good for nothing. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So you see, God is not interested in pseudo-Christians who, who claim to be on fire for God, or, or God perceives them to be cold and indifferent towards him. God is specifically saying to the American church and to the Western church, I, you, God doesn't want you to play the middle ground. God wants you to hit the bullseye. God is saying to the church, he's saying, I wish you were either hot or cold spiritually. But because you're lukewarm, that's this putrid, middle-of-the-road condition, which is the basic characteristic of the evangelical so-called Bible-believing church in America, Jesus is saying to them, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, which literally means Jesus is telling this church, I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. Now, now don't be offended by the directness of my words. All I'm doing is translating the Bible accurately. So then Jesus Christ says to the lukewarm church that they can't see. They're spiritually blind. So essentially, they're useless. If you're spiritually blind, what does that mean? It means you have no vision. And what does the Bible say about vision? It says, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, my people perish. So the, the inevitable result of losing your spiritual vision, of having no vision, the inevitable result is that you're spiritually blind and you're on your way to perishing and destruction. This is an extremely, extremely dangerous spiritual condition to allow yourself or your church or denomination to get into. You just don't go there. It's like, it's like being part of a suicide cult, spiritually. So let me read something in the book of Revelation regarding the uh, Thessalonian church, also known as the lukewarm church. So what we read is that, um, you know, I wish you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then, look what Jesus says in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, I do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, part of this infectious spiritual condition is that a, a Christian that is blind spiritually is also blinded from seeing accurately and truthfully their real spiritual condition. They don't know how bad off they are. So, in verse 18, Jesus says to the lukewarm church, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, or a kind of eye medication, the Holy Spirit, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Right here, right here, is the ignition switch. Right here is the, the cosmic button for igniting an authentic and biblical great awakening. Right here is the ignition switch for igniting an authentic and biblical revival. Right here is the ignition switch that will release from heaven 
power from on high, the dunamis, the dynamite explosive power of God. Right now, we're in the greatest spiritual battle in the history of mankind. Heaven and its armies, heaven, Jesus Christ, God, God's people, and the hierarchy of angelic armies that are serving the Supreme Commander, Jesus Christ, are engaged in a final last days eternal war with Satan, the hierarchy of fallen angels, and all those who choose to receive the mark of the beast and worship Satan. This is like the most intense time since the beginning of time. It's the latter part of the last days. And look what it says. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Now, what we have to understand here, what we have to understand here is that you and I, your children and grandchildren, specifically, the true church in America, the remnant church in America, specifically the true church and the remnant church in Europe, in Great Britain, the true church and the remnant church on every continent and in the vast majority of nations on planet Earth, in the invisible realm, in the spiritual world, in another dimension, there is an all-out raging warfare between the demons and the angels, God's people and the devil's people, God versus Satan. That's where we are. We're, 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 we're moving with enormous velocity into the last days. We're moving with unprecedented velocity into the time of revelation, which, which precedes the second coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, this is it. When I say this is it, I'm not talking about doomsday. I'm talking about this is it. This is the end of the age, which simply means if it's the end of the age, it's the end of time. This is the time where they say of this time, where, where time will be no more. And there is a battle going on that the vast majority of the Bible-believing or evangelical church, the pastors, the seminaries, the Bible teachers, the ordinary Christians, uh, Christian colleges and universities, the vast majority of them are blind spiritually. They cannot see the multi-dimensional nature of the raging spiritual warfare all around them. Things are happening with a velocity and acceleration that have never happened before. The last time in human history there was an acceleration and accumulation of such mind-blowing events goes all the way back to, to, of course, creation and then the fall of man. But then it goes all the way back to the flood of Noah. To the flood of Noah. And what happened with the flood of Noah is a precursor to what is about to happen on planet Earth, what is about to happen to you, your children, and your grandchildren. Because you see... As I've studied the Bible for over 40 years and researched the Bible, and, and I, I, I share this with you in my various books, like The Greatest Battle of the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, I, I write down these truths for you in a simple form in, in my latest book, Power from on High. And 
a prophecy of the future of America, Volume 1, and a prophecy of the future of America, Volume 2, and the other books, which you can get at a financial discount or a bulk discount right now by going to paulmcguire.us. You need to have Bible studies on this. I'm not saying that for my own vanity, for crying out loud. i got better things to do. I'm saying it. You know why I'm saying it? I was talking to my wife about an hour ago before I came into the studio. And, and I'm, what I'm about to share with you is really a very private and personal thing that I, I never share publicly. I never share what I'm going to share with you publicly. It's too private. It's too personal. But I'm going to share it with you now. I was sharing it with my wife. I share it with my wife all the time, these type of things. But besides that, I don't. I was sharing with my wife the things that the Lord has been revealing to me. I don't mean that in some obnoxious, uh, uh, inflated ego way. God forbid. I was sharing with my wife the things that the Lord had been revealing to me, explaining to me, downloading it to me, and and teaching me so that I might teach God's people faithfully so that God's people will not perish, but prosper and be victorious. As I was sharing with her the principles that God has been reviewing with me in my heart and mind, I found my body shaking, not hysterically, but but shaking uh, in a moderate way. And I found I found myself being swept in my internal being. I found myself being swept with a riptide of powerful emotions, powerful, powerful spiritual emotions where the tide is being pulled out to sea, and powerful emotions where the tide is coming in. And when I in my life, when I experience the presence of God with such intimacy, and when God begins to teach me and show me things, and then instructs me to teach his people about these things, one of the evidences to me personally is that I become extremely sensitive. And by that, I mean, it's not that I'm insensitive. It's just that these times are like sacred, holy times. And I know that as I feel the Spirit of God moving through me in a sacred and holy way. And I find myself, if I wanted to, I could easily give in to the riptide of deep emotion. Because I find that when the presence of the Lord visits me, maybe, maybe this is what you experience with your relationship with the Lord also. I find that when I'm experiencing the authentic, intimate presence of the Lord, that I become very tender and sensitive, and I, I begin to want to cry. Now, this is personal. I, I never share this, but I'm sharing it now. I feel as if I want to cry, because when I sense the presence of the Lord, it's so pure, it's so holy, it's so sacred, that the response of my body and my mind and my spirit is that I, it's like I automatically want to cry, and if, because being touched by the presence of the Lord is so awesome. It's so beautiful. It's so, there's no words. There's no words at all to, to share with you the, the emotional context of what's happening. So I, I feel like I want to cry and weep as I sense the presence of the Lord ministering to me in the depths of my being. And as the Lord continues to pour out his spirit and presence in the depths of my being, I feel an ever increasing sense and even. It's like a pull. I feel this spiritual pull on me that if I were to yield to it, I would begin to cry. I mean, 
tears would begin to stream down my face. Already in sharing the early stages of this, my eyes were already watery. If I gave in to the surge of emotion, if I gave in to it, which I could do easily, God gave me free will, I would begin to sob. I sob with joy. Sob with the joy and intimacy of a, a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And then if I allowed my emotional being to open up the floodgates, so to speak, and if I allowed myself to open up my heart to be touched by the presence of the Lord, I could easily respond and give in, and I would begin to sob. And if I really, really let go, I probably would sob with such intensity that my body would convulse. No, I'm not describing some wacko nut job experience. I'm talking about I'm talking to you about the most personal, private, intimate experiences that there are. And that's a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I was sharing this with my wife, and I could have easily given over to a to a to just a tide of emotion and weeping, all based on joy, all based on the Lord moving. Because it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. So, as I read this, I, I want to read this to you in the book of Revelation. As it's talking about this, uh, God is promising to uh, heal the eyes of his people, heal the vision of his people. Now, I just want to focus in on that for a moment. It says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. So, the Bible teaches us, we the people of God in America and around the world, the Bible teaches us that without vision, the people perish. Let's remember that. Let's etch that in the tablets of our hearts. Without vision, the people perish. So what that means, very bluntly, is the moment that the people of God in America or in any other nation or continent, the moment the people of God lose their vision, the moment that they become blind and they can no longer see, the moment they lose their vision, this is so important, the moment you lose your vision, I lose my vision. The moment God's people collectively lose their vision, the process of the downward spiral, the process of perishing begins. Because you see, when you no longer have God's vision for your life and the life of the people of God and the life of the children and grandchildren and grandchildren of the people of God, when you no longer have that vision, you no longer have the ideas of God the plan of God, the mind of Christ, and the vision of God, because it's only those things that can give you the supernatural power and wisdom and vision and ability and knowledge that will supernaturally enable you to overcome the evil one, to overcome and win and be victorious in the spiritual battle, to confront your spiritual and demonic enemies and cause them to retreat. and. When you lose your vision, you perish. And my dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and in America and around the world, the church, the so-called Bible-believing church, has largely lost its vision in America and around the world. And the proof of that is 
look around you. Allow the Lord to heal your your eyes with his eye salve, the Holy Spirit. Allow the Lord to to give you back your your vision so you won't perish. Now, with eyes that really see, with a restoration of your vision, look all around you. Look at your families. Look at your cities. Look at your towns. Look at your families. Look at your economic system. What do you see? I'll tell you what you see. You see destruction. Destruction has come upon us. We have, and that destruction that has come upon us is visibly and physically manifest all around us. All we have to do is look at both coasts of the United States, the Pacific coast and the Atlantic coast, and what do we see? There are hundreds and hundreds of gigantic ships packed with massive amounts of sealed shipping containers. And these massive ships that are coming from ports all around the world and all the shipping containers contain products, electronics, medicines, food supplies, commerce, everything that we need to survive, flourish, prosper, and survive is locked up away from us out on giant ships anchored in international waters, and they can't get in to bring in their precious cargoes, and they can't get out so that we can export our cargoes and bring in that that economic cycle of exporting and masses, massive amount of monies coming in uh, from the economic exchange from the ships and the cargo containers. That's one thing. We see we see um, a an emergency medical response that we need to be able to see uh, with spiritual eyes, not just biological eyes. You need to immediately, and the church in America and around the world, immediately, you need to, and I do too, we need to uh, repent immediately so the Lord anoints our eyes with eye salve and he restores our vision. We need to see the things around us, not just with biological eyes. We need to see it with spiritual eyes, because when we see what's around us with spiritual eyes, it's then and only then that we can discern what's really going on. Our vision gives us the capacity to see what's really going on, not just what appears to be going on. And so there has been a massive introduction um, all over the world a massive introduction that is nothing less than a global transformation, a national transformation, and a societal transformation of things that are of the most precious and intimate nature of every human being. Now, what am I trying to say to you? What I'm trying to say to you is that the Bible is very direct the Bible is truth. Jesus Christ said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. God wants us to have our vision restored so that we can see accurately. Remember, God is telling us, without vision, we are going to perish. It's just that simple. So in America, listen to me very carefully. This is of the utmost urgency. In America and in any other, every other continent and nation on planet Earth, where the Church of Jesus Christ is in existence, 
everywhere where God's people and the body of Christ and the remnant church is in existence, it is necessary that this remnant church has its vision restored. Otherwise, it will perish. Otherwise, it will perish. There are things that are obvious. Pretend for a moment that you and I were in a gigantic ocean vessel and we were sailing uh, closer to cold Arctic waters. And we noticed that these mountainous, you know, ice mountains, icebergs all around us. And we think with our ship and our sonar and radar and satellite technology that we have safely navigated around these massive icebergs. But, but we're basing our navigation on imperfect and defective vision. And therefore, we don't realize it, but we're about to perish because we're looking topographically at the icebergs that are on the surface and above, and we're moving our mighty ships uh, away from colliding with the icebergs. But as you know, the real danger of icebergs is the vastly larger percentage of the iceberg that lies deep beneath the surface of the water. So we think we're moving our giant seagoing vessels out of harm's way, when in actuality, because our vision is defective and without vision the people perish, what's really happening is our ship under the waterline is about to, in great perilous danger, it's about to crash into the solid icebergs. And when the solid icebergs hit with force the the underbelly, of our ocean vessels, they they will crack it, they will pierce holes in it, and it won't be long until these mighty ships that we're sailing will sink and plunge into the ocean depths, and there will be mass destruction. Why will there be mass destruction? Because we're perishing because of a lack of vision. We're not looking at reality in the full multidimensional nature that reality is. We're only looking at the what's going on at the surface and above the surface of the water. We're not looking at the greater danger, which is hidden below the surface of the water. So we look at America right now, and it's a mistake to assume that just because things seem to be relatively calm on the surface of America and other nations, that is faulty knowledge. That is faulty vision. We are making a decision based on a lack of vision. And as such, we are not seeing clearly. That's, that's using our vision that God has given us. We're not seeing clearly all the ominous and very dangerous dangers that are hidden in plain sight or, or are hidden from our normal view or vision. In other words, some of the greatest threats that we're facing right now in America, the greatest threats facing the church, the greatest threats facing believers and Christians, are not the things that are visible out in the open and on the surface. The greatest threats that come from a lack of vision are the threats represented by, let's just call them, the invisible but highly dangerous. Uh, assaults on not only our bodies, our environmental system, our ecological system, 
our society, et cetera, et cetera, both on the global planetary, uh, planetary level. I'm talking about climate change. I'm talking about pollutants and both on the microscopic level. In other words, what are we eating? What are we drinking? What are we ingesting or allowing into our physical bodies that could potentially uh, present the danger of killing us, destroying us, making us sick? But we falsely think that we're safe because we physically and visually don't see a danger. But that goes back to this principle that God has given us. Without vision, my people perish. So if we were to look at the full spectrum of reality, not just the percentage of it, we would see that on a microscopic level, using electron microscopes, etc., that there are pollutants in our water and in our air that, that, that find their way into the microscopic molecular areas of our bodies. We're fighting off an invisible invader in the form of a global pandemic. You can't see it for the most part. It's not visual. It's not observable to, 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 to the naked eye. But on a microscopic and molecular level, it has penetrated our body's defenses and people can easily catch diseases, etc. Also, there has been, as part of a consequence of the lack of vision, there has been the resultant attack um, on our DNA and our genetic system. And of course, our DNA and genetic system is the actual microscopic submolecular coding that that allows for our biological reality to manifest, our physical being to manifest, our spiritual being to manifest. And the DNA coding, you know, they say they say if you were to pull out the strands of DNA, and you've seen pictures of, of the double helix, if you were to pull out the strands of DNA out of the human body, at minimum, laid end-to-end, the strips of DNA would would go out about 10,000 miles around the Earth. So just one human being taking one strand of DNA, and you keep pulling it out of the biological body, it will go out 10,000 miles. And in those DNA cells exists all kinds of advanced coding and programming that determines everything like the color of your eyes, how strong your bones are, um, how powerful your memory and cognitive abilities are, what diseases you're susceptible to or not susceptible to. The DNA coding is really the software. It's like all of the computer uh, software you use in your laptops and cell phones, etc. When you're using software like like social media, like video games, like calculators, like animation or whatever, all those things that you see and hear from your computer comes from the, the computer language or the software code that was written. And 
the physical manifestations of all that come from microscopic coating. Now, I want to throw this out to you. I'm, I'm racing to finish my new book, Power From On High. I believe this book has the most important message for you personally, for me personally, than, than any other book I've written in the last 40 years. Because, to be blunt, without you and I and every Christian, unless we receive power from on high, unless we're clothed with power from on high, which means the dunamis, the dynamite explosive force of the Holy Spirit, unless we're clothed with power from on high, we do not have the supernatural power necessary to be victorious and overcomers as Christians. We don't have the supernatural power necessary to defeat the demonic armies, Satan, Lucifer, and all those human beings that have chosen to partner with Lucifer. We only have the power that we need to defeat our enemies. We only have the power that we need to to defeat our national and international enemies. We only have that level of power when we receive by faith power from on high. Power from on high is not take it or leave it. Power from on high is a necessity. When you were born again, it was really simple. You repented of your sins. You asked Jesus to cleanse you by his blood of your sins. You invited Christ into your life, and you were born again by faith. That process, for me, took three minutes. I was escaping a Christian religious retreat in in the back roads, cornfields, in the middle of nowhere in Missouri, hitchhiking, fleeing from a Christian religious retreat. And as I was fleeing a Christian religious retreat, the guy who invited me there told me that God was going to take care of my rides home. My first ride by the cornfields in the middle of nowhere, like a field of dreams experience, my first ride was from a Pentecostal preacher and his wife who preached the gospel to me as far as they were going. They let me out on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, again, by the cornfields, a field of dreams kind of experience. And and this Bible salesman driving a, a station wagon filled with black, thick, black leather, thick uh, King James Bibles is preaching at me uh, old school style. And old school style goes like this. Do you know where you're going when you die? I answer, no. The Bible salesman says to me, if you don't know where you're going when you die, and you haven't repented of your sins, and you're not born again, according to the Bible, when you die, you're going to spend all eternity in hell. That's old school preaching. It works, by the way. He says to me then, would you like to pray the sinner's prayer and invite Jesus Christ into your life and become born again? And I'm thinking, gee, my God, I'm from New York, I'm paranoid. I'm saying this guy's a religious axe murderer, pervert. He wants to chop my head off and bury me in the bushes. That's what I thought. So we get in the car. We start to whiz down the dirt roads by the cornfields. And he, he, he asks me to pray the sinner's prayer with him as he lets go of the steering wheel completely and holds up his big, thick King James Bible. And basically, it's shotgun style, baby. He goes, you want to pray the sinner's prayer? Do you want to repent right now? Be guaranteed entrance into heaven? I didn't even believe in the word sin. Sin was an archaic concept. For some strange reason, I said, yes, he spoke a prayer out loud. I simply repeated it. Jesus Christ, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, cleanse me of all my sins by your blood. 
and I invite you now, Jesus Christ, to come into my life and make me born again. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and making me born again. I was saved. I was guaranteed entrance into heaven. I didn't feel a thing. The next day, it was like the sky blew open. I'm talking about the entire sky above the North American continent. It blew a hole in the sky. And I saw God, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. I knew at that moment that I was genuinely saved. And in that exact moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus Christ was God. He was Lord. I was saved and that I was going to live forever with Jesus in heaven. And I knew that I knew that I knew at that exact moment that everything else, cosmic consciousness, um, astral projection, seeing the great white light, mental telepathy, altered states of consciousness, that all of this stuff, they were spiritual counterfeits. And so my life was changed forever. In the same way, you can receive power from on high and walk in it in three minutes. You don't have to tarry on God and wait on God for years. You can fast if you want. You don't have to. These are add-ons. These are religious, man-made add-ons. And if you really want to cut to the chase, all the extras that people try to get you to do in order to walk in revival, to receive power from on high, they tell you to do all these things. But all these things that they tell you to do are all a form of works. They're not necessary to be filled with power from on high. Works won't save you. Works don't get you into heaven, and works, religious works, will not branch you power from on high. You get power from on high by exercising your faith. You ask God in faith for what you want, you believe it, and instantaneously God will clothe you with power from on high. And that's what he did for me. And he has never withdrawn that supernatural power from on high. He has never withdrawn that from my life. So here we are in the last days, and we read the book of Revelation, and it's obvious to anybody with half a brain that the armies of hell are gathering in number and force, that the armies of hell are gathering in numbers and force, and they're gathering in new technologies And we've entered the realm of occult, Luciferian, scientific technologies, where magic and science are operating on the same continuum. You understand what I'm saying? So, we cannot fight a supernatural battle with lollipops and plastic toy horns. We cannot get out our little soldier set from when we were little boys or dolls, if we were little girls. We can't get out our soldiers and our dolls to fight this intense battle. The stakes are this. The devil and his armies, the fallen angels, want to prevent every single soul that would from coming in to the kingdom of heaven. The devil wants to shut up the entrance into heaven. He wants to block it with impenetrable strongholds. And so the way that we defeat the devil in the last days, the way that we turn the tide of the spiritual battle, the way that we fulfill our divine destiny that God gave us before the foundation of the world, the way all of that um, initiates and engages, the way all that happens is the moment we ask God to clothe us with power from on high. We believe him by faith. We believe him by faith that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
And if we will simply then, at that moment, receive power from on high, the dunamis dynamite power of God, by faith, then at that exact moment, God will clothe us with power from on high. And the mighty forces, the mighty forces of an authentic and biblical revival, the mighty forces of an authentic and biblical third great awakening, the mighty forces of an authentic and biblical last day soul harvest, these divine missions and divine assignments will be put directly into your hands and my hands and the hands of the body of Christ if you simply come before Jesus with childlike faith and come to him with outstretched arms, ask him for this, and and he will give you this assignment and release this assignment through you into the earth. You will be filled with power from on high. And along with that, along with being filled with power from on high, that actually changes your internal electromagnetic frequency, EMF. Every one of us have a unique and different EMF field or electromagnetic frequency field. Satellites, electronic devices, cell phones, or whatever, they can read your unique and different EMF electromagnetic frequency field that you're generating. It's just as unique as your fingerprint or your biometric ID. Now, when believers, this is it, man. This is it. This is like we rock and roll. We celebrate. This is it. When we recognize the kingdom principle of when we come together as one, when we function as one, nothing that we plan to do or propose to do will be withheld from us and blocked from us. That means as we as believers come together as one, not like they did in ancient Babylon, but but like they did in the book of Acts, when the disciples were meeting in the upper room as one, as one, when we come together as one, there's no more blockages in the invisible realm. Nothing is impossible. God opens the doors. The strongholds are removed. So let me, let me read you the Word of God here. And this is powerful. And it's joyous. So let me read you this. This is, this is like, I mean, this is a time for God's people to celebrate. No, I'm not talking about lame evangelical celebration. I'm talking about holy, pure, and let's get down celebration. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, let me read you what the Word of God says in the book of Ephesians. The Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living energy. It's Jesus himself. Jesus is the Word that has become flesh. This is awesome. Okay. so. Sorry here, I'm, the, the lights are dark in the studio, but I want to share this with you, because this is important. This is very, very important. In fact, there's nothing, there's nothing more important than this principle that I'm going to share with you. And you can enter into this in a, in a way that's just, if God will give you back your vision, and you will be able to see the beginning from the end. Okay, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see that, um, well, the disciples are gathered together as one, okay? 
as one. They're gathered together in the upper room, worshiping God, worshiping God in, in oneness. That's where the power is released. Stuff that could never happen now is released to happen because God's people, God's church, have chosen to function as one. So in Acts 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, and by the way, let me add the words, when they had come together as one, They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what the Lord is saying is that You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Think of any potential spiritual battle that you may be involved in personally, your family, a church, a nation, a community. Think of any conceivable spiritual battle you may find yourself in, and then remember the promise of God. Then remember the promise of God when he says to you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when you receive this power, the Holy Spirit, it is then and only then that you will be supernaturally energized. And then and only then will you have the supernatural power necessary to do your job and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, this is powerful. So, they're in the upper room prayer meeting. again worshiping the Lord as one, seeking the Lord as one. This is is God's template versus the template of Mystery Babylon that occurred in ancient Babylon. And we read what happens next. We read what happens next. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all with one accord. I mean, it's right there, like a neon sign. A neon sign lit up in the faces of every true Christian, lit up in the faces of the remnant church, and lit up in the faces of the Bible-believing church and the evangelical church. It's lit up like a giant neon sign, and it says, they were all with one accord, which means they were one. Now. This means when they're all in one accord, this releases God's multidimensional supernatural power on a level unprecedented. Look what happens next. After they're of one accord, it says, verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I don't want to get hung up on a tongues argument. Christians love to miss the priorities. Christians love to miss the primary target and then argue and fight about peripheral issues. Tongues is important. There's no question about it. But tongues is not 
nor has it ever been more important than coming together in one accord and releasing the power of the Holy Spirit on individual Christians and the church. That's 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 the priority. So the power of God comes down upon them. And 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 then the people think they're drunk because they're so joyous. And and the people listening in hear them speaking in the languages of all the different nations that these people come from. And and so Peter has to, the apostle Peter has to do damage control. So this is what he says. He's trying to calm everybody down because they're freaking out. The crowd is accusing the apostles in the upper room of being drunk. But he but he's saying that they're not drunk. Peter is saying, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days. By the way, Right now, at this moment, at this second, you and I and the Church of Jesus Christ in America and around the world, make no mistake about it, we are in the last days. Don't forget it. Live in it. And it shall come to pass in the last days. What does that mean? Because it is the last days, something very powerful, something very profound, something very heavenly is about to come to pass. Why? Because it's the last days. And the Bible is saying, because it's the last days, some very powerful and wondrous things are about to come to pass. So let's read about it. That I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, the Holy Spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this is so important. When they came together as one, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all over the earth. And I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters and, and granddaughters and grandsons. Your young, and then God promises, your young men shall see visions. That's about restoration. Why? Because the word tells us, without vision, my people will perish. So right now, God's people are in a free fall. We're in an accelerated mode of perishing in America and around the world. Wake up, smell the coffee, and deal with it. We're perishing, folks. I mean, get it and wake up. But God will step into this and change it. So out of the context of coming together in unity of prayer, in oneness, God begins to pour out his Holy Spirit. This releases the sons and daughters to prophesy, but the pouring out of the Holy Spirit also supernaturally releases your young men shall see visions. So they're not blind anymore. Destruction is not eminent anymore. Destruction has been thrown in the trash, like in your computer when you drag unnecessary documents into the trash. Your ability to have vision has been restored by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are no longer in danger of perishing, because that perishing only comes about if you have lost your vision. But your vision has been restored. By the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because your vision has been restored, your destruction 
has been canceled. Think about that. You're on the fast track to destruction in America and many other nations. But God steps in and cancels your destruction because he pours out his Holy Spirit first and restores your vision. I mean, I don't know what's, if this doesn't turn you on, I don't know what does. Your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. We've seen a lot of that before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It's coming quickly. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we are in the time period, in the last days, where God's pouring out his Holy Spirit in the last days. This is powerful. It's causing a restoration of vision and prophecy and dreams. This is, this is, this is good, man. This is a blessing. But in the middle of explosive last days, end of the world signs of the times, like wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke and end time signs like the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. This is all shouting to the world, wake up, I'm coming quickly. And this moon into blood stuff and all these supernatural signs, it says, will come immediately before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, when God says it'll come to pass, you can, you can count on it. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you can call on the Lord and you will be saved. You can call on the Lord. Listen to me, please. If, the, if all Christians in America and around the world would simply acknowledge and hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you now, because make no mistake about it, the Lord God Almighty is speaking to you right now through his word. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord's speaking to you. And he is rewarding you because you've come together in unity and the Lord is rewarding you by pouring out his Holy Spirit and restoring to you everything you've lost. He's restoring your vision so you don't have to perish. He's restoring your, your prophecies, your, your ability to dream dreams, your ability to bring in the last day's soul harvest. Hear what God is saying. You were called for such a time as this. You were called to bring in the last day's soul harvest, and you will fulfill that mission. Nothing, nothing can stop it. And so let us come together in unity into the presence of the Lord. Let us repent of our unbelief. Let us repent of our gossiping and putting one another down secretly. Let us repent of our bad-mouthing our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Let us repent of bad-mouthing the politicians we don't like. And let us start moving and speaking and acting in faith. And let us not surrender to a spirit of fear, however it manifests, because for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, power from on high. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We live in the time zone where Jesus is returning. It's not over till it's over. So let's pray, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and do, each one of us, what God has called us to do before the beginning of the world. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. I need you to spread this message far and wide and let pray over it and let the fire of the Holy Spirit set ablaze every heart that hears this message and let every heart that hears this message explode into fire and let it surge from one person to another, purging each physical, biological, and psychological being. Let it be purged with the fire of the Holy Spirit so that it can be a fit vessel and, and any inner pollutants in our inner man or our inner heart, in the heart of our being, let any inner pollutants like, you know, unforgiveness and bitterness and stuff, let them be rooted out by the power of the Holy Spirit and let the rivers of living water flow freely out of our inmost being. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us.